0: We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4, beginning with verse 25. Ephesians four twenty-five. and verse 15. Paul says, speaking the truth in love. The new life, specifically new life words. Have you ever heard these words? You're too fat. You are worthless. I'm leaving you. I wish I had never known you. Those are words that destroy and rob life from a person. As opposed to, I love you. I'm so grateful and thankful for you. Tell me more. I believe in you words of life and words of destruction. We all are given the opportunity and the ability to speak words of life or words of destruction. In 1973, I can barely remember it, I was a young boy at that time, but I remember during that time the the embargo on the oil and gas and uh, gas went up, tripped 300%. I remember my parents waiting in line to get gas. We lived in a very rural community and there were other commodities that weren't as easily accessible during that time because there was kind of a scare and a fear during that time when the oil embargo happened and, and uh, kind of the psychology of scarcity took over. And, uh, I'll ne- and I, I don't really remember this well, I remember reading about it, I don't remember this very well as a child, but um, there was a toilet paper scare. Now, that sounds like a joke, but those some of you remember that. Does any, anybody in this room remember that the toilet paper scare? Some of you, some of you, all right, some of you a little older than me remember that. And uh, what happened was that um, uh, Japan had had a hard time getting some shipments of toilet paper for some reason or another, and then there was a there was a congressman from Wisconsin who uh, heard about that, and then. Uh, He was part part of his organization or part of whatever committee he was with was ordering the goods for the military and um, they had not been able to secure a bid for toilet paper for the military. And so he went out and said, look, if we don't address this toilet paper need, this is going to affect everyone in the United States and everyone's going to be affected by this. Well, uh, some people kind of got a little little you know, ruffled there, but it wasn't a big deal yet. But then Johnny Carson, I don't know how many remember, remember Johnny Carson, but I remember as a little boy watching him, he was the original Tonight Show host. And he had over 20 million viewers there. So, I mean, if you stayed up to 1030 at night, you were probably watching Johnny Carson if you were watching TV back then. And in his monologue, he said, um, Guys, you know, about the, you know about the problem with the gas and the oil, but did you know there's a toilet paper shortage? I'm not making this up. And he quoted the, the, um, the congressman from Wisconsin and uh, made a joke and talked about it. And at that point, kind of pandemonium set in. And people, st- people that night started to the stores that were open, headed to the stores and began to take all the toilet paper off the shelves. The next day, virtually every supermarket uh, was void of any toilet paper because everybody went in there and just stocked up on it. Now, keep in mind, there's not really a toilet paper shortage, okay? But because of this joke and because this congressman wasn't able to secure the toilet paper, the bid that he had wanted to secure for the military, um, it became this big fiasco. And for six months throughout the country, you'd go into a a grocery store and it'd be out of toilet paper because every time you'd get there, people would just go get it. People were hoarding it in mass groves. People were filling their barns with toilet paper. A black market even developed. For toilet paper. It was crazy. And none of it was because of reality. It all happened because of words. Words that had been said that were not accurately true. But nevertheless, people believed them. And they responded to them. It appealed to their fear and to their greed. It could be a sermon for today, but we'll just keep going. But nevertheless, as we think about that, As we look at this text, we have to ask the question, do our words promote life, build up life, or do we take life, do we destroy life? Are our words destructive, or are they encouraging? If you have your Bible, let's look at the text here this morning in Ephesians chapter 4 as Paul is writing to the Ephesian church here. And Paul is speaking to this church of believers who've come to Christ. And he's telling them, look, the new life that Christ has given you, this is what it looks like. You were a slave to your sin. You were the old man which had yourself on the throne. Your ego was on the throne of your life. But now you have new life in Christ. And you, you have a new identity, a new life in Christ. And there's going to be always that old flesh, that old spirit competing with this new life. But I want you to clearly identify the new life in Christ and what it looks like and how you're supposed to let it manifest itself through the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit as it flows throughout you, as you make the choice every day to have Christ on the throne of your heart. And he writes this letter, and it's sent to the Ephesian church, and it's actually a circular letter. It goes to many, many churches, and it will be read in these churches, churches that are dealing with the issue of words that are being spoken, of words uh, that are not always encouraging, and he's letting them know the importance of the new life and what it looks like and how you can identify it. And so in that context... Paul says, therefore. Now, anytime we see the word therefore, we need to ask the question, what is it? Therefore, okay? And it's therefore giving us a description, a picture of what the new life looks. He's giving us a compare and contrast here, beginning in verse 25. Therefore, having put away the falsehood, having to put away the old man, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. It's talking about the body of Christ. We've put away falsehood now in that culture and that time, particularly if you were not of that group, of that social group, that social economic group, if you were not of that ethnic group, if you were not of that tribe or that, that culture. Uh, it was often considered acceptable to take advantage of others if you could get away with it. And Paul said, you know, let this not this spirit enter into us. We're going to put away the falsehood. We're going to put away the exaggeration. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We're all one. If you hurt someone else in the family of Christ, then you're hurting yourself. This is all one body. And he goes on to say, maybe that's happened to you in that context. And he says, be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. And we'll talk a little bit in a moment about what it means to be angry and not sin and what kind of anger there are. But this kind of anger, this not self-righteous excuse me, it is self-righteous anger, this kind of self-seeking anger. He said, when you become angry, do not sin. You're going to become angry whether you're the, uh, the new life or the old life. There are things that will happen that will make us angry. Some things you should be angry about. You should be angry about abuse. You should be angry about slavery and human trafficking. There are things that we should be mad about. And we'll talk more about that in just a moment. But he said, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, this is not a prescription to say you can't go to bed until you've gone and confronted somebody, okay? Uh, sometimes that's not possible. That's just an expression, an expression that says deal with the issue. Don't let it just keep going. But it doesn't mean you need to go wake up your wife tonight if you're sleeping, she's sleeping fine and go, i got to tell you something, okay? You don't have to call your neighbors. You don't have to get in a car. But he's saying deal with it in an appropriate time span. Deal with it as soon as you can. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Because when that spirit of anger is brewing within inside us, bitterness, bitterness will ensue. And it begins to transform us back into the old man, back into the old life. And Christ says, give no opportunity to the devil Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We'll come back to that at another time. Let Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up. Let no destructive talk, words that destroy life, that rob life, that create corruption come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for the building up, the encouraging, the incur- building up of the body of Christ, the building up of others, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. He talks about giving grace to those who hear. In just a moment, he's going to tell us what the grace is. and, he, and But right now, he's going to say, he's going to tell us, What grieves the Holy Spirit? Now, there are other things that grieve the Holy Spirit, but Paul gives a few things, and he's already touched on them a little bit already. And he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, whom has sealed you in Christ Jesus, who has covered you and sealed you and secured you for the day of redemption. And then he tells us how the Holy Spirit can be grieved. He says... Let all bitterness, we talked about that a while ago, the spirit of bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander, gossip, be put away from you along with all malice. That evil intention, that self-seeking evil intention of malice. And he says, be kind to one another. So this is the spirit of the old man, bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice spirit of the old life, the spirit of pride, the spirit of ego. And he's saying, new life in Christ, this is what new life in Christ should look like. Kind to one another, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another in Christ as Christ gave you. Kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving one another. One of the British generals once told Charles Wesley... I never forgive anyone, I never forget anything, and I never forgive anyone or forgive any situation. And Charles Wesley told him, well, I hope you never sin. That's a good word, isn't it? That's so hard, those concepts for us. So let's talk about how we can break those down and, and how do we live that out today? Well, first of all, Paul talks about the importance of falsehood versus truth, of speaking truth, uh, speaking the truth to those whom we are in life with and whom we have contact with, context with. So if we're going to put off the old spirit of falsehood and put on the spirit of truth, the new life, um, there's an old acronym, and you've probably heard it. I, I don't know where it originally came from. I tried to look it up, but it's been around forever. And it goes like this. Before you speak, you should always think. Think. And there's uh, five words to remember with the word think. First of all, before I speak, I should think, is it true? Is it true? I remember early on in uh, my ministry at my first church I was serving at, someone came and told me this stuff about this other individual, and I thought, well, I've got to deal with this. It's kind of what I'm supposed to do, so I'm going to go confront them and tell them and and put this on them, and it was a colossal error. You know why? Because I didn't have all the information and not everything I was told was true. Uh, it's always important to find out if it's true. You know, a lot of times people come and visit with me and um, they'll say, So, what are you going to do? And I go, You know what? I hear what you're saying. That sounds bad, but I know there's another side. Virtually every time I've ever dealt with a counseling situation, there's always two sides of the story, and it takes both of them for you to fully understand. Sometimes we just get so tunnel visioned, we leave out critical facts. So, we have to ask our question that question before we say something is it true? Number two, is it helpful? Will this help the situation? Because if it doesn't help, then it's not beneficial. Number three, is it inspiring? Will this encourage? Will this help us to take positive steps forward? Number four, is it necessary? Is this really necessary or is this really, this really a bunch of nothing? Is this something we need to blow off? Is this a softie? And K, is it kind? Is it kind? That spirit of kindness Paul just used this in verse 32 of Ephesians chapter 4. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to the repentance. It's the kindness of our tone and of our spirit and of our heart that brings about reconciliation and repentance. Kindness. Is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? The first step. The second one, he says, unrighteous anger. Virtuous, righteous anger, or righteous indignation, we sometimes call it in verse 26. Now, unrighteous anger, my focus is put on winning and making sure the other person is losing. In other words, someone does something to me that I don't like or that's wrong or dishonest, and I, I want to see them pay. I want to make sure that people know I'm right and they're wrong. And That really is a self-centered anger. It's not that you're not angry or that you're wrong for being angry. It's what do you do with it? And that's kind of more of a selfish anger. Now, righteous anger or righteous indignation would be this. It would be, my focus is on the kingdom of God. What is best? What is, does this honor the kingdom of God? We talked about it earlier. There are things that dishonor the kingdom of God. When we grieve the Holy Spirit, when we use God as an excuse to sin, when we see human trafficking and slavery and things of this nature that hurt the heart of God, there ought to be something that wells up in us and says, that's not right and I want to stand for what is right. That's righteous anger. That's why he says, be angry and sin not. Take the appropriate God-honoring step. It's not about you winning. It's not about how you look. It's about what honors the heart of God. It's about the heart of God. So when godly confrontation is necessary... When we find ourselves in these anger situations, it usually requires a a confrontation, a conversation. And let me just say this, uh, something that I was taught a long time ago that's very beneficial, about whether I am ready to go have a confrontation, to have a conversation with somebody. Let me tell you this. If you really want to go have that conversation, you can't wait to go tell them. You can't wait. Then you should not go. You are in the wrong spirit. You're not going to be kind. You're not going to be gentle. You're not going to be forgiving. You want to win, and you want them to lose. So when you want to confront, don't. And when you think, oh, this is going to be hard, then you're ready. And you're going, I don't really want to do this, but I need to. That's the right spirit. If you're excited, you can't wait to do it, then don't do it. It's not going to go well for anybody. You're in the wrong spirit. When you think, man, I, I don't want to do this. This is going to be hard. This is going to be difficult. Then you're in the right spirit. So once you're at that spirit, you can pray and, and seek godly counsel. Pray and seek godly counsel. Talk to someone who is mature in the faith and, and let them hear what you're going to say. That's important because so many times we don't recognize what we're saying. Might, uh, people might get offended, might get stuck before they get to the real issue approach gather all the facts we talked about make sure you have all the information that you need to have this conversation approach with humility not superiority superiority is i'm um, i'm better than you you need to be straightened out i need to fix you i need to correct you that's a spirit of superiority as opposed to humility i want peace i want this to be right and think about what to say and what not to say. There's some things you shouldn't say. You shouldn't say you, 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 you. And you shouldn't point your finger like this when you're talking to people either. Okay? It's not about you. It's about I, how I feel. And you've heard this before. There's nothing new. And, what, and there's just things that you don't say and there are things that you should say. So think that through. Think through what you're going to say before you get there. All right. So we've talked about uh, falsehood versus truth, unrighteous anger versus righteous anger. And then construction or destruction, destructive words versus words that build up. Destructive words versus words that build up. When we're building others up, our words must be truthful, not deceptive, gentle, not harsh, and apt, not impulsive. Many of us are impulsive. Um, I I find myself in that way just spouting things off sometimes. Uh, But the proverb says tells us that a word fitly spoken is like a plate of apples, gold apples, on a silver setting. When we say it in the right time, in the right spirit, in the right attitude, then it can be words of life. I remember when I was in high school, I was in FBLA, Future Business Leaders of America. I don't know if they still have, they still have that. Eh, maybe it's just thing in Louisiana. Nevertheless, um, I was in that organization, and I remember my sophomore year, I wanted to participate in something called extemporaneous speaking, but somebody else got to go. So the next year, I remember talking to my business teacher. You know, I'd really like to do this, and so we talked, and we and kind of went through it, and I thought extemporaneous speaking, that'll be good for me. That's for people who just don't know anything but just like to talk uh, without really knowing anything about the subject, and so I thought that would fit me very well. So I was excited about doing it, and I remember going, and there were a lot of people at my school that uh, did very well every year that would go to state. And I was excited about going to LSU and doing this. And so, um, you know, the regionals came about. We went to a college not far from where I lived and went and competed there. And I thought I did real well. Man, I, I thought I really did well. I was, you know, I did my voice. I was probably yelling. I don't know what I was doing, but I thought I did well. I, just, I talked a lot, and I, I sure enjoyed listening to myself, so I figured other people would. And um, I remember uh, at the end, you know, they, they call out, you know, the wards, and basically they start off with an honorable mention, then they talk about people who were, then, you know, their crew about seven or eight, and then there's about seven or eight people that were deemed excellent, and then there's another seven, or eight that was superior, and then there was a winner. Well, they went through that whole thing, and I, m- I never got mentioned. <laughs> my school was never mentioned, and I go, well, that's, that's great. Well, then they got the results back, and my teacher showed me the results, and I did not do very well. Not, not according to those judges. Um, my scores were very, very low. Um, matter of fact, I don't even know why you're here today, but they were, they were terrible. Um, they were awful. I mean, I was at the bottom. I, I just stunk. And, you know, and I was pretty discouraged by that. And I remember thinking, I just guess I shouldn't do anything that involves speaking, uh, obviously. And um, But I, I, I so wanted to go to state. I so wanted to go do that. And I so wanted the opportunity. And and, and so I, I remember the next year, you know, you kind of reapplied to do it again. And, and sometimes you, when you did that poorly, they'd just get somebody else. But I remember my teacher, Miss Mock. And um, I said, Miss Mock, I'd really like to try to do this again. She goes, I said, I know I didn't do well last time. She said, you know what? I think you can do very well. She said, if you will practice and uh, you will just work on this. She goes, I believe in you, Ron. You can do this. And I think you can do very well. I think you could go to state in this. I was thinking, I just want to get to show up (laughs) you know and I was thinking okay and so uh, oddly enough I had some opportunities to speak during that time and um, I remember the day came we drove to Lake Charles Louisiana which is where I was originally born and at McNeese State University and um, I you know they gave me whatever topic it was I did it in four or five minutes and when it was over, I came back, and this time I wasn't nearly as confident as I'd been last time. I thought last time I'd done very well, and I thought, well, I did much better. I'm, I know better this time. I ought to at least be able to get an honorable mention or something. So they came back, went through the whole deal, honorable mention, excellent, superior, and then and the winner is, and, and I won. And it was a great big deal, and I remember being so excited, so encouraged. And I've never forgot that time because uh, who knows what would have happened, but I've often wondered if Miss Mock had not said, I believe in you. I believe you can do this. I believe that you can speak. If she hadn't done that, I don't know that I would have done this. Now, God's sovereignty, he can do whatever he wants. But can I tell you, I, it gave me life. It spoke life into me. It gave me a confidence and um, it, it changed the trajectory of what I was doing for a living from that point. Uh, up to that point, I was delusional and thought I was going to play a professional baseball, which was never going to happen anyway. So, <laughs> um, but words of life, that are spoken into us. Make a difference. Words that we hear, words of either destruction or words of encouragement. What about you? Joseph Telschuskin is a famous author and speaker and he wrote a book called Words That Hurt, Words That Heal. And he uh, does these conferences and when he does the conference, he'll say, I want to ask you a question. Do you think you could commit for 24 hours to say uh, to not say anything negative about another person or to another person. So I want to ask you, can you say something? Can you go 24 hours and just say something positive and not negative to someone or even in reference to another person? So can you go 24 hours without saying anything negative about anyone else or saying something negative to a person? And it's interesting, a few people will raise their hand. And then he'll say, how many of you think you can't do that? Well, a whole lot more raise their hand. He'll go, you know what? Then you've got a problem. Uh, The negative spirit has become a part of you. He's not a Christian. He said it's become a part of you because if you can go, if you can't go 24 hours without a drink, you're an alcoholic. If you can't go 24 hours without a cigarette, you're addicted to nicotine. If you can't go 24 hours without saying something negative about another person, then it's become a part of your fabric and it's an issue that you need to deal with. And Paul knows this, and he's talking about the new life here in Christ and identifying it and recognizing it and repenting of it and asking the Holy Spirit to work in and through you. And then he says, bitterness versus forgiveness. He said, don't let this spirit of bitterness take root in you, but let the kindness and the tenderheartedness and forgiveness, that word forgiveness is hard for us. It's hard for us. um, Back in 2006, 2007, Uh, Many of you remember at that time, American Idol was getting really, really big and popular. And um, there was a uh, girl that came on the show at that time, um, uh, Mandisa. Uh, Some of you are probably familiar with her, and she's a, a Christian artist now. But Mandisa came on the show. And um, after she sang, they, they liked her singing, but they went around, and they gave the critique. And Simon, who always is pretty negative, you probably remember Simon if you don't still watch it. I don't watch it anymore, but I remember Simon. And uh, Simon said, yeah, you know, your voice is great, but uh, we're, but if, and she was a very large woman at the time. He said, but we're probably going to need a bigger stage if you're going to be singing here very often. Woo, and this is in front of everybody. So she was hurt and upset, shamed. She went back to room and then she came back and I want to quote to you what she said. She decided that she was the next day when she came back to find out if she was going to be chosen or not. Uh, this is what she said. She said, when the, she came into the room, she said, uh, before we start, I have something I want to say. And Mendesa was a Christian. She said this, Simon, a lot of people want me to say a lot of things to you, but this is what I want to say. Yes, you hurt me and I cried and it was painful. It really was. But I want you to know that I've forgiven you that you don't need someone to apologize in order to forgive somebody. And I figure that if Jesus could die so that all of my wrongs would be forgiven, I can certainly extend that same grace to you. I just wanted you to know that. I love what she said. She said, I forgive you, and you don't need someone to apologize in order to forgive somebody. I want us for just a moment in the conclusion of this message, I want us to have a good, thorough understanding of what forgiveness is. Now, forgiveness, there are multiple words used in the Hebrew and the Greek, um, but most of them have to do with the covering, the covering of something, the healing of something, the taking care of something, the payment of something. It's taking. the, The main picture is there's a cost and you've replaced it, you've paid it, or you've covered it, and that's the picture of atonement. The blood of Christ covers our sin. So let's, for just a moment, understand what forgiveness is not, so we can have an understanding of what forgiveness is. First of all, well, there's a lot of little you know, pithy sayings that you sometimes hear, like forgive and forget. If you really forgive, you'll forgive and you'll forget. Well, probably not. If someone really hurts you, if someone has taken someone that you love If someone has altered the course of your life drastically, you're probably not going to forget it, and it's probably not realistic to forget it. God Almighty is sovereign, and He can forget. He can choose to forget, but that's kind of what you have. You have to choose to forget, but it's not like it's erased from your memory if it's a deep wound or scar. So forgetting is not a prerequisite of forgiveness. Pretending is not forgiveness. Yes, yes, I forgive you. I hate your guts. <laughs> I can't stand you. I'll never forget. That doesn't do any good. Just to mumble the right words and smile and put the church lady face on, okay? Feeling. Well, you know, I just don't feel like it. I don't feel like I I I'm still mad. It still hurts. Yeah, if it was significant, if it was really that harsh, if it was really that hard, if it really wounded you, absolutely you're not going to feel it. Forgiveness is not about what you feel. Okay? If you wait till you feel like forgiving, you probably never will. Most of us never get there. So it's not about, I feel really good inside now. When I think of that person, I feel warm inside. You know, that's probably not going to happen. Okay? It's not a feeling. It's not a weakness that there's, you know, well, that's going to show that they win. No, it's going to show that you win, that you're the bigger person and that you've put on the new life in Christ. There's something different about you. You've chosen to live in the new life, not in the old life. It's not condoning the wrong. It doesn't mean that there's no penalty or consequences from their sin. Often when there's a crime committed, uh, to forgive does not mean that you get them out of jail, okay? Forgiveness is not condoning the wrong. It doesn't mean that you have to put absolute trust in them. They've been stealing from you. You don't have to give them your wallet, okay? It doesn't mean that you have to trust them in every facet of life. That's probably something that's going to have to be grown, all right? Uh, It's not a one-time event. I did it, now it's over. No, it'll probably keep coming up in your heart and mind, and things will remind you of it, and you'll have to, in your spirit, forgive again, and say, Lord, I'm releasing this. It's not all over at one time, and it's not always closure. Sometimes the other person really isn't interested in closure. They may have done something, they see nothing wrong with it, and you don't get to get it all neatly wrapped up, but you can release, just like uh, Mandisa did. She didn't know how he was going to respond, but I, I don't need your apology. I'm choosing to forgive, okay? Now, what is forgiveness? Forgiveness, first of all, is not seeking revenge. It's not seeking revenge. It's resisting that spirit of revenge that you're going to make things even. You're going to win. You're going to make them pay. It's not rejoicing in their harm. You see something happen and you go, I knew it. i so It just kind of identifies what's in our heart, doesn't it? New life versus the old life. Life in Christ, life of the evil one. It's not destroying their character, letting everybody know how bad they are and what they've done you and how they've harmed you and how they've wronged you in assassinating their character. It is praying for them. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew chapter 5, greatest sermon ever given, pray for those who despitefully use you. Wow. Forgiveness, again, does it mean that you feel it? I'm just praying for their blessing. You probably won't feel it. It's not about what you feel. It's about what's right. It's about the new life. And that's the next point here. More than anything else, if you need one word, forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision that you make the decision to forgive and to release into God's hands and let God seek the retribution, let God deal with it, and you release. You make a choice. You make a decision to forgive. And can I tell you this? When you forgive, it's costly. Now, what do I mean by that? It's costly. Well, if I came to your house, and let's just say you had some exquisite um, glassware and vase, a vase, uh, or some Waterford crystal, if you had some exquisite crystal, we'll say that. And I was looking at it, and I dropped it on the floor, and it shattered. And it's worth, let's say, $1,000. And I go, oh, let me help you put this together. Don't worry about it. Well, I'll pay you for it. And you go, don't worry about it. I got it. Now, is it correct for me to say there was no cost involved? No. It didn't cost me anything, but it cost you because you lost that item. If you're going to replace it, it's going to cost you $1,000. It's costly because when we forgive, we absorb the cost. That's what Jesus did. He absorbed the cost of our sins. Because of our sins, he absorbed it. Forgiveness, there's always a cost. It's undeserved. It's not that someone earned it. Well, you you apologize and you do this, this, and this, and I'll forgive you. That's not forgiveness. Forgiveness is I release and I know you don't deserve it. And I'm, it's not about that, but I'm choosing, I'm making the choice to cover this because of what Christ has done for me. And most of all, it's God's will. He who knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of God. great movie. If you've never seen it, I encourage you to go get it. It's called The End of the Spear. It's a Christian film. It's about the life of uh, Jim Elliott and five other missionaries who went to Ecuador. They felt a call to go to this uh, remote village where the Unca Indians had not been reached. Uh, no one had ever reached this group of the gospel, and Jim Elliott had a heart for it, and Nick uh, Van Saint and some other guys had this burden to go and reach them. And so uh, they moved down there, and they got a plane where they would go down the Amazon. Matter of fact, uh, Brandon Gray and I had the chance to go down the Amazon in Ecuador a few years ago. Some of our men were in Ecuador, and, uh, a, a fairly decent way from there. But, I mean, it's, it's a remote area even today. And so they, they they flew in there, and they would drop off supplies, and then little by little... Uh, They began to kind of build relationships from afar, giving them things, giving them gifts, giving them food. And so finally they felt like they'd made enough inroads to go. But uh, they had been warned that this was a violent people. And so when they flew there uh, to land and to go and try to talk with them and learn their language, they actually had guns with them. But uh, when they got there, they got out. And they go to, to greet, and things went badly, and all five of them were killed. All five of the missionaries were killed. All five of the men were killed. And uh, it's a, a remarkable story. Elizabeth Elliot and, and many of the other women in their family end up going back and eventually leading uh, many in that village to Christ. A matter of fact, the man who killed Jim Elliot becomes a believer and pretty much becomes an evangelist. And uh, it's just a remarkable s- story of grace and forgiveness, the power of forgiveness. Uh, but what I really caught my attention, I'll never forget, was... Um, they were told uh, when, when the pilot that went back to search for them found them, uh, he took some other folks back, and when they got there, they were armed and they were ready. And uh, they found the plane. They found the guns. The guns had never been touched. And the pilot says, uh, that's what I expected. He goes, well, why? I asked him, why did you expect that? Because I remember him saying, we'll take these guns if we have to use them for animals or fire just to, you know, to create a diversion, but we're not going to kill them. He said, why not? He said, well, because we know Christ and we know we're going to heaven. So if somebody's going to die, it better be us. It's better for me to die and go to heaven than them to die and not. And so we're going to make that choice. Wow. And that's exactly the choice they made. And uh, we celebrate the life of Jim Elliott and the huge impact he's had on lives of anybody who's read him on you know, missions itself. Um, and we look, and I, I think about that quote. I know I've been forgiven, and I'm knowing, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I've received new life. So if someone's going to die, better it be me than them. That's a question you and I have to ask ourselves every day. I know Christ. I know I've been given new life. If somebody's going to need to die today, not necessarily literally, but emotionally, egotistically, Spiritually, it's better for it to be me than someone who doesn't know Christ. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. The gospel is this we were sinners and we could not forgive ourselves. Our old man was on the throne, we were opposed to anyone, to God ruling our lives. But God was holy, merc- merciful, and kind. And he gave Jesus a covering. He paid the cost. It wasn't that it was free. It cost him dearly. He absorbed the cost of our sin. That we might be forgiven if we would put our faith and trust in him. We might be atoned. We might be covered. Our sin was covered because of what Christ did. By simply submitting and saying, Jesus, I give you my life. My old man I put to rest. I accept your new life. By grace I'm saved through faith in you. I believe. I accept your forgiveness. The ultimate word of life. Have you received it? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that while we were still sinners, you died for us. I pray, Lord, for anyone here today who's not received the word of life from you, Christ Jesus, who've come to that place that they say, I'm a sinner, Lord. I recognize it. I need your grace and forgiveness. I want you to be the God of my life. I want your new life. Come into my life. Save me and make me your child. Lord, if there's one that needs to do, I pray that today would be the day. Lord, for the Christian and for the believers, Father, who, Lord, we get captured by the old man because of resentment and bitterness and lack of forgiveness, I pray today would be the day that we release and receive freedom. Not because we've forgotten, not because we condone, not because it doesn't hurt, but because of you, Lord, your kindness and your tenderness and your forgiveness, because you've given us new life through Christ Jesus. We give you thanks and praise. In your name I pray, amen.